welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How are you doing? Did you make it? Oh, What's going right. on? Yes. The last episode, uh, I did have to uh, unexpectedly bail early. That was a, the first time I think that's ever happened. That, yes, it was um, very jarring. Yeah, there was a bit of an emergency, but uh, it's all it's all over now. Uh, yes. Thank you for your concern. Those who commented or tweeted at me yeah. uh, not yeah. nearly as many as one would think but that's all right but i think that's part of i think fewer people listen to our comic-con centric episodes than listen to the the rest of the year you know and also, I, I, I think maybe people didn't make it all the way to the end i usually check out about halfway through myself <laughs> and so it took me a while to realize you were gone that's funny but uh, uh yes but thank you for those who were who were concerned um, uh, today I want to, uh, apologize for my stuffy voice. I'm not sure how much it's, it's coming it's across. Getting better. Okay, good. Uh, a lot of allergy problems. Uh, we talked about it on the movie journal episode, mm-hmm. the, the temps, the temps skyrocketed. And, yeah. uh, for some reason I blame that for me suddenly getting all stuffed up. Uh, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I am not allergic to anything and I've never had allergies. So anytime someone says, Oh, I have allergies. You know, like they've it's changing the seasons or whatever, and they say like, yeah, but what are you allergic to? They're like, no, it's just allergies. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I I have no relation to this. I have no experience with this. So surely it has to be allergic to something. So are you allergic to something or is yeah, it just yeah? But I'm allergic gener- to whatever you got, like pollen, okay. mold. I'm allergic to horses, as I've found out. Wow. Um, All right, I'll found have that to out twice, my, uh, twice in my life. I was a. Uh, uh, as long-time listeners know, I was a I was a PA on the Robert Zemeckis motion capture movie Beowulf, That's right. in which we had motion captured horses in a small space. They called the volume. That's the motion capture term for nice. the space where they create and capture the motion capture, where they capture the motions. Uh, we had yeah horses with the little shiny uh, ping pong balls all over them, and uh, sure had a they terrible loved that. Yeah, I had a terrible reaction, and then a few years later, for my uh, then girlfriend now wife's birthday, we all went to Medieval Times, which I thought. You know, I'll, we'll be up in the stands, yeah. not right up against the horses. Yeah. Nope, I could not sit through the Medieval Times show. Went outside and found out uh, I'm not alone. <laughs> Apparently, a lot of really? people are allergic to horses and took and take breaks from Medieval Times. And there are paramedics there because one person was having such a bad reaction that uh, he couldn't breathe. Wow. Uh, yeah. So well, I'm not alone in being allergic to horses. But what um, a nightmare! Yeah, I'm so happy <laughs> I don't have allergies. I uh, I do not envy you in this particular. Uh, you know what I'm not allergic to? What's that? Telling our listeners about our wonderful sponsors. Boy, that's good, because here, here comes an ad. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is, once again, going to be a little iffy on the name, I apologize, Nicholas uh, Gerhalter's Homo Sapiens, which, as I was reading the description, sounded fascinating. Part documentary, part science fiction. It portrays the state of the world after humanity's collapse. I'm trying to think how that, how it's not a mockumentary or a faux documentary or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, another thing that is showing uh, at Mubi is Jean Renoir's masterpiece, Grand Illusion, which is a film that I absolutely adore. Uh, I like Rules of the Game, but for me, Grand Illusion is where it's at. Uh, oh. specifically that uh, that relationship between like the commandant or whatever it was uh, and and the prisoner is so fascinating to me uh, along with Renoir's eventually his, his eventual attitude about 
Grand Illusion, where I don't think I know about this. He 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 put out a statement. I think actually even uh, re- filmed himself talking about it in retrospect, where he said because he's making a film about like having respect for your enemy as another human being, and he'd said and he basically said, had I known about the Holocaust, I don't because I don't think it's because oh. it's not a World War Two movie, but. You know, he made it uh, in the 1930s, and it's like, had I known just how horrible things were going to get and how horrible they were, I don't know if I would have made this movie this way. And so it's it's very interesting to look at it as I'm always interested in like little time capsules of like things that exist before we knew thing, knew other things. Like I wrote a review of, uh, oh shoot, now I don't remember. It was a Carol Reed film, I, Night Train to Munich. And it's 1940, and, it, and it's a World War II movie, so they're, they're going against the Nazis. But it just feels very conventional, like, spy-type mm-hmm. thing, and it's kind of delightful. And you can just tell, they're like, oh, yeah, let's see. There's a big difference between that and, say, The Third Man, where it's very, everything is a lot darker, everything's a lot more cynical, because we've, we've seen, we now know a lot more about right. what this war meant. Um, so, anyway... But Grand Illusion, nonetheless, is a, is a marvelous film. Uh, have you seen it, David? I I've never seen it. Oh, boy. I think I know, right? Um, but anyway, so listeners, check that out, and also check out uh, Homo Sapiens, along with, let's see, mathematically, 28 other movies. Um, okay. And then there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can get Mubi for free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship. That's very important. Slash Battleship to redeem now. And I would like to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, And they're available at a low, low price over at TweakedAudio.com. But if you hang on a second... If you hear me out, and if you put in some extra effort, you can use the offer code pretension at checkout, and you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So for great earbuds, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Let's introduce our guest. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, We've been making a considered effort, I think, uh, recently to have um, Los Angeles film critics that we don't personally know on on the show. This makes for good content, and it's also us networking. Um, (laughs) And so I had reached out to uh, our our guest, um, uh, and we had scheduled this date. And then, uh, speaking of Comic-Con, the Thursday night at Comic-Con, I was at the Fandango party and, uh, uh, a friend of, uh, a guy I know who's never, hasn't been on the show yet, soon to come named Todd Gilchrist was like, do you know Brent? And I was like, what is your last name? And you're like, Simon. And I was like, I'm that guy you've been emailing with. So <laughs> That's ladies right. and gentlemen, Brent Simon. Thank you for having, uh, for, for having me guys. I appreciate it. I enjoy the podcast and it's good to be here. Now here's, when I heard that Brent Simon was going to be on the show, I was very intimidated. Here's why. Because your avatar is this uh, like cartoon image, sure. and I am not as smart as that cartoon image. <laughs> I look at it, and I think like, oh boy, anybody who says that that is me, it's like, I can't compete with that. No, so. it's just, I th- it, it's a, it's a, a, uh, an image of repose and sure. uh, uh, lost in contemplation. Sure. And I think it was taken actually from like in one of those Ipso survey things because mm. at some point someone contacted me and they thought that their company 
had stolen it, and I was like, no, no, I just grabbed this graphic, and because <laughs> I knew the guy that had made it or whatever. So. Oh yeah, it's uh, we had an, uh, years ago we had an experience like that once where someone, uh, someone well someone did steal our logo. someone did actually oh, steal really? our logo for for uh, like a comedy a L.A. comedy show, um, and for a moment yeah, well, I, we were calling it like comedy battleship or something, something like, like that. that yeah, and it was our logo, and it was just like, but they you know. They cropped it so that it didn't say battleship pretension. On right. It. right. So, uh, but see, I, the weird, the, this is like, it's super inside baseball, which is just between you and me, Tyler. But the funny thing about that is the reason we found out about it is that the comedy club tweeted, Hey, look, we have the same logo because they didn't know the graphic designer they'd hired yeah. had stolen the logo. Right. So they just thought it was like a fun thing. Like, hey, look at this. And I was like, uh. <laughs> and I like reached out to our, the guy, who, uh, Lance, who designed our logo. And I uh, was like, you didn't do this for anyone else, right? Yeah. He's like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> and there's there's just something funny. It was like, hey, we've got the same logo. It's like, why don't you stop smiling right now? Because this is not as innocent as you think it is. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, but welcome, Brent. Uh, Thank you. Already, for already you're putting me at ease uh, that's good. being such a friendly guy <laughs> yeah yeah so uh okay so david i will let you ask your standard questions about background standard well the standard question i always start with is where are you from where'd you grow up i grew up in north carolina um in the middle of the state greensboro um so landlocked but you know th- three hours from the mountains four hours from the beach yeah uh big city and plenty of movies have you been to the Biltmore Mansion? I have. That's like one of those, I think, rites of passage for uh, public school kids in North Carolina. Sure. Yeah. You know, somewhere in your middle school years, you yeah. make you know you make the trip to the Biltmore Mansion. What is yeah. the, What is the Biltmore Mansion? Oh well, you might recognize it as the place where they shot the exteriors for Richie Rich, starring Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> but it is okay. You, I got it. You don't need to. You don't need to go into more, any yeah. more detail. Cl- claim to fame. Uh, but I, I'll let Brent. Uh, he no, took oh, a field, wow. field trip there. I went with my family when I was in eighth grade. I'm really out of my depth already. I find because uh, I, I just remember. Uh, yeah, lots of you know uh, ornate, intricately uh, festooned rooms, and yeah. lots of curtains. Lots of curtains in this mansion, um, but it's it's an old historic mansion, which it's enormous. Yes, I mean, it's very big. At, at one time, it was the largest private residence. I mean, I think that's oh, okay. its claim to fame for yeah. for m- many years that it was the largest pri- private residence in the United States. It, but it, had, it, but has, like, it used to be, right? Right. So I, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it has like an. Uh, there was no water when I went there, but they had an in- indoor pool. With back when that was not mm. a thing that houses had. Uh, yeah. I remember, remember right. very distinctly looking at the pool. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of the mansion that was that that woman kept building because she went crazy? That's Ooh. the Winchester. The Winchester. Oh, that's Winchester right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never been up there. Have you been? That's, that's in California, right? Just, yeah. Perpetual okay. construction, right? Yeah, yeah. Just kept, yeah. Uh, I have not been there, and I really want to. It sounds uh, like a real mind-bending experience. Uh, yeah, and also kind of depressing, because <laughs> yes. like the men are mentally ill woman. Sure. But that's how um, I felt about uh, San Simeon when I went there, um, uh, the Hearst Castle. Like, as I was walking around, I was just like, after a while, this gets sad. Yeah. It seems sad to me. I've never been to San Simeon, but I remember there was a, at LACMA, it was like 10 years ago, there was a, a Hearst uh, exhibit. It was like a lot of stuff mm. that he had owned. And one of my favorite tidbits that I learned about William Randolph Hearst is that he had an apartment in New York City that was just for storing his suits of armor. <laughs> no one lived in this apartment. He just needed wow. a place to keep all his suits of armor. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun when you, when you describe like a, an actual millionaire in turn in like 
Montgomery Burns terms because that's full on Simpsons at that point. It yeah. Is. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, growing up in, in, in North Carolina, uh, how did you, how did you come to movies? I mean, everybody likes movies, but what made you like movies, uh, especially? Right. Uh, you know, I think I loved, I love stories. Um, but before movies, it was probably reading, you know, that was, uh, my escape. I just had a voracious appetite and, uh, read so much, and, uh, you know, then I just, my, my parents would take me to movies. Um, and you know, people always ask, or a lot of people ask, Hey, what's the first movie you remember seeing? The weird thing is I don't remember like the first movie that I saw in a theater with my family. I have a distinct memory of my father pitching ET to me. Like he wanted to get, he was like, well, it's about this extraterrestrial alien and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, now, <laughs> I remember that, and, but we had seen movies before that, but I have a very distinct wow. memory of not seeing E.T. in its original theatrical run, wow. because however my dad pitched it was not interesting enough. And I put that firmly on him. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was born in 75. Okay. So, okay. yeah. yeah. It came out in 82, right? Yeah. 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 I didn't uh, see E.T. until I was older, because... To me, it's like, oh, so there's an alien that comes to Earth and it doesn't want to kill anybody. Why would I want to see that? <laughs> sure, sure. A peaceful alien? Are you right. shitting me? Come on. Uh, <laughs> according to my mom, E.T. was the first movie I saw in the theater. I was way oh, too wow. young because I was born in late 82. But movies used to stay in theater theaters for sure, a long time. Yeah, but yeah. they must have taken me when I was like under six months old. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember. The first movie I remember seeing in the theater was in 1987. So it would have been four or five. There was a, I guess it would have been the 50th anniversary re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Mm-hmm. That is the first movie I remember going to see in the theater and I fell asleep. <laughs> do, you, do you, in retrospect, are you angry at your parents for taking a six month old David Bax to a I think, movie? Honestly, when I just said that just now was the first time I really thought of it that way. And yeah. I was like, what, you, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> no wonder you turned out like this. Bad parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, wh- wh- where else have you lived, and how long have you been in Los Angeles? Uh, man, I've been in Los Angeles since ninety seven, ninety eight. Oh wow! All right, yeah. So I came out here after college, um, not knowing or, uh, or if I would stay. Not, uh, and um, you know, I had kind of some work that kept me here temporarily. Um, and uh, then I just started writing. I had written for my college or for my high school newspaper, wrote for my college paper. And you mentioned Todd Gilchrist earlier. Todd and I went to, both went to school at UNC Chapel Hill. We met there. I think we, we met in bylines first, right? Like we saw each other's bylines. It's like, oh, he, he's the guy that's reviewing this album I'm interested in. And uh-huh. He's reviewing this movie I'm interested in. And then. Uh, we didn't come to blows literally, but it was like, Hey, then it became, Hey, that guy is doing the thing that I want to do. (laughs) What is the formal process for signing up for this? Mm. Um, But then, you know, we met and became fast friends and uh, wrote for the daily Tar Heel, which is the college paper there. Um, And so when I came to Los Angeles, you know, I I had those odd jobs that you have when you first come to LA. Um, I also worked as a script reader for a while, which was tremendously Instructive, I felt that gave yeah. me an, an interesting perspective on the yeah. critical writing and the business as a whole. Um, and then I just, you know, I started freelance writing, um, both criticism and features, and hung around. I don't know if the <laughs> listeners picked up on that, but uh, I'm not dealing with allergies, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just heard a very loud and 
for me at least, adorable sneeze from my <laughs> wife, who was in a different part of the house, and yet we still heard it pretty clearly. But it was nicely timed. I yes, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well. It's for like, all right, story over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, wrap it up, Simon. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm, I am curious. It's it's uh, not often that I've that I've uh, get to talk to other people that have uh, read scripts um, in in a script reader capacity because plenty of people have read scripts that have been produced or about to be produced. Right. But like when you're a script reader, you're usually like, you're the first line of defense, which means you get some astonishingly bad ones. Oh yes. Can you remember maybe not the, maybe not the worst. Maybe you can't, maybe you can't put it quite in those terms, but what, what are some of the details of like the, the bad scripts that you read? Can you remember anything? I do. I, I, and you're right. Uh, I read for October films okay. when they were around, um, and they were just starting um, their response. You know, at that at that time, Miramax had Miramax was still around, and they had Dimension Films, and so mm-hmm. October Films, obviously a little more prestige oriented, and they right. wanted to start a genre arm. So it ran the gamut, right? Like I had these scripts, sure. um, some of which came with talent attached, and were incredible period dramas or whatnot, and then. As far as the worst, um, in that kind of first wave of these genre offerings, you know, I, I remember getting things that were packaged or, you know, they were written by maybe a, a guy who uh, had an intensive background in special effects and was looking right. to, you know, transition to directing and that kind of stuff. And that was one that I remember where it came with, you know, a whole sort of prospectus detailing how certain effects would be done. And, right. and like, that stuff would have been very useful below the line when it came time for production, but yeah. it just made for an incredibly dense read. And it, of course, you know, they foisted that off on me and I'm like, look, the script is a hundred pages and like this other stuff, the appendices to this is like yeah. 200 pages and there's drawings. And I'm like, I'm not sure that there's a way to really <laughs> summarize that. Yeah. Um, that, that's one that sticks out for me. Having to, cause when it came time to write comments, like, yeah, no problem summarizing was was difficult because sometimes like well i have to try to make some kind of sense out of a story that doesn't exactly so what do i do i just literally just write everything that happens regardless of whether it makes sense or not or do i try to work something out here and i decided on the former <laughs> uh, just to save me a lot of time and effort. <laughs> yes didn't you i feel like forever ago uh, on the podcast um you were probably still doing scripting when we started the podcast you probably weren't even yet uh you read something that had a, it was a comedy in quotes yeah. that had a recurring gag about an alligator with a giant green erection. Big green boner is what it says in the script. <laughs> in I was going to, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. It's about a, this, uh, oh, good God, I haven't thought about this in a while. Uh, but, uh, yes, it was about, a like this, uh, the crazy, like surf comedy in Florida. I was like, there's surfing in Florida, right? I have no idea. I don't. It has to be. I don't think of it as a surf community, but it right. must be. This I, I assume this person knows what they're talking about. Uh, and a and a frequent gag is, oh no, a particularly Randy horny crocodile has shown up, and we keep getting glimpses of his big green boner. And I was like, yeah, I don't. And that was the first script. That was the very wow. first script I read in oh, my wow. screen uh, script reader capacity. And I was just like, this is really. 
This was, is something. Would it, did it indicate whether this would be rendered in prosthetic form or it did not live action animation <laughs> hybrid or no? no uh, it's it did not say. I guess just maybe they uh, maybe they have the with, appendix like yeah. about the special <laughs> effects. Like. That, that screenwriter's imagination is incomplete. <laughs> I can tell you <laughs> from experience. Uh, and then the other one, the other one that because I, I, I remember some of the good ones that I read. I. I read an early draft of Moneyball before Aaron Sorkin came wow. to the project. It was really interesting. But um, but I read one called, I believe it was called Doghouse, and it was essentially, it was essentially Animal House, but everyone's a dog. Everyone is a literal dog. Sure. So it's like, oh, okay, so this is going to be maybe like Babe or something like that. It's, it didn't, it sounded like it was not going to be animated, so it's going to be there... So there's going to be like some CG effects and stuff. And so I thought like, okay, so this would be kind of a family, like a college thing, you know, but for families. No, it has like, like crazy sex and lots of swearing. And I was like, okay, who is this for? Right. And I think since then it maybe could have found an audience, but at the yeah. time, 10 years later, we get sausage party. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But at the time I was like, I don't know in the comments. I was like, I can't imagine how could, how they could market this right. but then yeah sausage something like sausage party comes along maybe uh maybe doghouse is coming in 2018 who's to say i'm curious did you do you remember how uh the the grades uh that she was signed or you know was it like a like like a hard recommend recommend it was, pass or uh let's see i believe i said there was highly recommend there's recommend with some changes and then there was one that was just a long sentence where i said the the amount of changes that would need to be made uh amount to a completely different script right don't recommend (laughs) so that's uh and i that that became a thing i said it didn't i didn't mean for it to be a trademark i just wound up writing it a lot right because most of them were terrible yeah but uh anyway okay sorry that's uh Enough well, of that. I apologize. Um, well, I want to ask Brent some more questions, but uh, first I want to tell the listeners what's on the website this oh, week. Oh, indeed. We want you to visit the website. We're a website as well as a podcast. I know some people, we were a podcast for four years before we had a website, That's really. That's true. And some people forget that we're putting out written content got reviews. all the time. Speaking of Comic-Con, your uh, review of the Batman and Harley Quinn uh, is up there. Boo hiss. Um, there's more to the review than that. Go read it. Uh, Sarah's still working her way through our uh, listener-voted top 100 list. She wrote about the Shawshank Redemption. Um, West, over at Musical Notation, wrote about uh, the collaboration between... Or not wrote about, did a podcast about the collaboration between Johnny Greenwood and Paul Thomas Anderson. Great episode. Um, um, let's see. I wrote a Blu-ray review of Fox and His Friends, which is a Criterion disc that came out quite a few months ago. Um, uh, your review of Columbus is up there. Aaron uh, has the Chicago rep port saying what's going on in repertory theaters in Chicago this weekend uh, or this week. And uh, we've got uh, the, what, what the hell are you watching guys? Look at Dunkirk. And then Jim says goodbye to I do movies badly. It's the end yeah. of I do movies badly in its current form. It might be back in another form soon, but uh, that's what's going on on the website this week. Indeed. Okay. Back okay. To, back to business. <laughs> back to business. Um, well, first off, uh, what uh, what have you seen recently that you liked or didn't like? Or didn't like. Um, so what have you seen recently that you felt strongly about? You know, the, you thing, the things in the brain right now uh, are just some things that I saw this week, honestly. Uh, Good Time, that's um, obviously a film that played at Cannes earlier okay. this year. That's the, Which one is that? That's the Safties. Uh, oh, Benny okay. and Josh Safdie yes. with Robert Pattinson. I've heard good things. It's good. It, it has a... Um, 
very sort of propulsive, forward-leaning energy, a great score. Um, you know, it's shot in an intimate style, uh, you know, over-the-shoulder handheld, but it's not... Uh, it doesn't kind of rub your face in that. And I think the best way to describe it is like if, if there's a lot of New York films that are interested in showing a, a head up version of New York and letting you know that this is a New York movie. And this is like a movie that's set in Queens, but it's heads down. You know, it's just a, it's it's local. It's the guy that's looking at the pavement. It takes course or one evening. And so it's sort of like a. Sure. I know Dog Day Afternoon is mentioned, or a movie they mention a lot. Um, the Safties have mentioned it in, as an inspiration for the film. It reminded me also of maybe uh, a little bit something like After Hours. It's just it has this bonkers quality of uh, uh, a criminal who robs a bank with his brother and then makes a series of increasingly poor decisions, as criminals sometimes do. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so it's like Quick Change. <laughs> I love Quick Change so much. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, there's a twist I, I won't spoil that uh, for me was less surprising, but that didn't bother me, if that makes sense. It's just, it's a movie that, um, I won't say style is over substance, but maybe style is equal to substance, and yet that kind of is enough. Um, and it's yeah, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that was something I saw recently, and also The Only Living Boy in New York. Right. Uh, which well, comes out next week. I yes. Think. But I believe. Uh, there's still an embargo. I think there is. Or yeah. Maybe it's lifted today or I, tomorrow. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, I also saw it. Yes. But I can't say anything more. I won't say anything it, more than that. It is embargo. I mean, I could say what I've heard about it. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Um, because everything you've heard say. about it came from me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, all right. Let's move on. Uh, and this is the question I told you I was going to ask you. What are, uh, I think I told you, uh, what are your favorite movies? Do you have, uh, if someone says, what, if you were working at the Arclight right. and you had to have your and movie you had to on have your badge. Because we talked about this at Comic-Con and like you said, you definitely have answers uh, yeah. that you go to. I realize I probably do as well. So I will give those, uh, or, or, or we can talk about those, but I also realized, um, maybe it's just my, de- my uh, kind of default setting in terms of personalities that I'm usually interested in connecting to, you know, whomever I'm talking. And so what they're interested in, uh, I, f- I find it really pleasurable to say, Oh, you know, one of my favorite movies is something is X right. that relates to something that you were that you were interested in. Right. Um, maybe that's just the way my brain and the synapses kind of fire sometimes. You know, talking to, them, to people about movies. So if you're working the arc lab, then you're interacting with people who are interested in popcorn, right? And uh, jujubes sure. or whatever. Yeah, um, and there's plenty to to recommend there. But um, okay. uh, <laughs> movies about popcorn. There was a horror about- film called Popcorn there from the is. '90s. That's oh, right. I never saw that. Yeah. When I think of popcorn in movies, I think of Real Genius. Uh, which oh, okay. that's an, yeah, that's ends, an ends with an entire house being filled up with pop. Oh, that's right. right. Yes. Yeah, Jiffy pop. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the graduate is one that I, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I always cite. And, uh, again, and it's curious. I, certain films, I have a very distinct memory of where I, when I saw it and, or where I saw it. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw the graduate, except it surely would have been on home video or TV, probably not TV. Um, and it was a movie that, um, I definitely saw, uh, you know, long before I was in college and probably maybe when I was in middle school or early high school. And, um, what connect, what I connected with was it's overwhelming feeling of ambivalence. Um, but that, that was a powerful thing that didn't, 
equate with a lack of caring, if that made sense. I was like, oh, being uncertain about one's path in life is um, universal and and interesting. And that was something that I just, I found really kind of emotionally resonant and even probably overwhelming Mm. um, because I was probably feeling that in the early stages of that anxiety without even knowing it. I think that's probably why I connected to that. Um, My thing, I I love the graduate as most people do, but I also have this sort of like, uh, this thing like, there are so many bad movies that exist because the graduate was made. That's definitely true. It's a whole, become a whole subgenre of like sad white man returns home, you know, like, like garden state or like you had the howlers last year, which was one of my least favorite movies of of last year. Uh, it it is, there's there's some movies like that. Like I know Tyler, one of your favorite movies of all time is jaws and jaws is a great movie, but it also like gave birth to this sort of like summer event movie that has become like what movies are for like for so many people now. Absolutely. Uh, It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, for sure. and and that that to me is always the interesting thing about uh, because obviously the graduate came out before we were all born. The interesting thing about revisiting classic films, right, is that you're trying to judge them in the time that they were released. And if you have seen all the antecedents, good maybe good and bad, when you go back and revisit some of those things, sometimes their emotional reaction can be kind of a shrug yeah. because you've already seen everything that came after it. Um, I should also say my mother-in-law is technically in the graduate, <laughs> um, wherever they, when he goes up to Berkeley, they didn't shoot that at Berkeley, whatever college they actually shot that at. My mother-in-law was there and is, uh, uh, walking through a shot at some point. I've never oh. been able to quite pick her out. Oh, wow. My wife could tell you where she is. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was an extra in let's go to prison. <laughs> That's right. So I like to think it's pretty similar. <gasps> Were you in prison? And let's go to prison. Uh, it was a, it was shot at uh, Joliet Prison. And, okay, uh, it was pretty uh, pretty neat. Yeah, so. that was when we lived in Chicago, or I lived here. You, were I had already moved here at that point. Uh, is pretty that sure. true? Yeah. No, I think it was when we lived together. All right, I seem to recall. But yeah, the movie that was, we, came, right, we don't need to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it probably came out after I moved here. That's true. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I'm in anything. Hmm. hmm. Oh, I'm in a, a movie uh, that I'll sort of. Uh, grit my teeth and call a mumblecore movie even though I hate that term but there's a movie called Luke and Brie are on a first date I don't know if you I've heard of the title okay yeah so uh, they shot uh, it's uh, I I, I know the guy who played Luke and they were shooting the exterior of like this scene takes place in a bar and it was uh, the bar is the scene in Glendale which isn't around anymore I don't know if you remember, yeah. uh, remember that remember that bar they're like we kind of need people to know this is a bar so let's have someone just walk down the street and walk in the front door because if you look if you know the scene it's just like a brick wall with a door and you wouldn't yeah. know it's a bar so uh, yeah I'm in an establishing shot and Luke and Brie are on a All first right. date walking down the street and going into a bar. They said David is uh, definitely a guy that can walk into yeah. a front door with a presence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now I can't tell if you're making a joke about David's drinking because <laughs> everybody does make that joke. I had no right. idea. Oh, okay. No idea. All right. Just yeah, making yeah. sure. No one makes that joke. Uh, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? I'm. T- uh, let's see. I'm uh, getting all defensive now. <laughs> like uh, Goebel and uh, Tom Griffin like made that joke, and a few other people have as well. Okay. Well, yeah. at Comic Con specifically, I guess. If if you see me at college, yes, you've only, you've met me once before in person <laughs> and I was, I definitely had a few by that point. <laughs> Comic-Con but, uh, is its own yeah. separate experience. I think. Yeah. It's, there's no judgment here. It's just something it's, it's, I remember, uh, after the, the Paul Goebel roast, Tom Griffin had mentioned you being drunk and me being Christian, uh, and then made fun of both. And <laughs> right, it's just no, like, I guess that's are. how we are. Yeah. That's how we come across. <laughs> so. Um, 
which one is worse in modern society? <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I was joking about this at, at Comic Con. Like, there are certain people that you only see at, like, conventions or film festivals and that's like not how I live my life most of the time. Right. But like our friend uh, Angie from Mashable, uh, I was talking talk about like my morning routine. I get up, I exercise, I walk the dog, I make myself a like egg white, you know, turkey yeah. bacon breakfast. I'm mean, a very healthy guy, but only time she sees me in San Diego <laughs> or at Sundance, I'm like downing beers and eating burgers. Uh, right. Yeah, it, it's a different sort of persona persona that you're putting forth yeah. these sort of things along those lines i was going to ask uh brent um how long have you been going to comic-con not as long as you might think i okay. i resisted for a long time um but i've been going what the last i've been maybe like twice and then took a break and then the last three years three or four okay. years so uh you know it always i always feel like it can't get bigger uh, and yet it seems to continue to metastasize or, or grow I guess is the preferred term sure it's more rightly to say metastasize yeah, um, <laughs> yeah and, and so it's um, I don't know about you guys I mean you've, I'm sure you've been going perhaps even longer yeah I find it I mean interesting you know around the edges uh, but it is it is overwhelming just because it's such a human crush you know yeah yeah and what do you like your who are you covering it for I cover for M time so uh, M time is uh, China's premier entertainment website and we may have talked about this yeah. I mean, the interesting and cool thing about writing for an international outlet is yes uh, they have this you know voracious appetite for kind of the big blockbusters and comic book films and action movies the genre entertainment that's driving the theatrical expansion and growth over there um, but they do have an interest uh, and knowledge for knowledge of you know even um, American independent cinema and auteurs even though there's not the history of the actual theatrical exhibition for those mm-hmm. films um but when we when we roll into comic-con it's like yep you know like, like just same kind of coverage it just happens to be for an international album yeah hmm. that's interesting yeah. well we're lucky uh that we don't have to do that <laughs> uh, we get to do whatever we want at comic-con yeah um because yeah i mean i used to do the hall h thing but uh no i'm sure you know once you get to be a bigger outlet you get the studios give you passes sure. or whatever to yeah. get in but i'm not ever since it became a thing where you have to camp out Nope. I mean, that's miserable, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a, the little pass, pass off that you can sort of work. Yeah. Um, I don't want to speak out of school, but uh, yeah, we're, we're all nodding in agreement. We know that. <laughs> um, so Todd and I affected that okay. this year and have in years past sometimes, uh, he covered a lot of the Hall H stuff this year, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's a, it's a whole enterprise. It's a big machine. And it's a lot of work, and then you just survive it. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it, there's, and I recognize we've we've already done our Comic Con episode, so we can move away from this so that we don't alienate. Well, I never it. finished doing the Comic Con episode because <laughs> I had to pull. Yeah. Dave, what did your Sunday look like? No. <laughs> um, but uh, the idea of camping out, I wonder, and this is going to sound. It's going to have a certain tone to it. I wonder if it's kind of a young man's game. Like, I think it is. It oh. seems like the kind of thing that when you're younger, it's like, oh, this is a fun thing. And when you're old, it's like, I don't have the energy for right. this. Um, yeah. Did we lose a war? What happened here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and I've never done the camp out thing. And I never really stood in any kind of line for Hall H because I decided a long time ago, like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you started going, it was already, uh, my first one was 06 and you started going in like 2010, I think. It's about right. Yeah. And there's, uh, I mean, it was already big by 06, but there's a big difference between those, like, you know, 
in like 0809 you could go to uh you know it, even in 2010 like i think i went to the marvel panel like i got in line like in 2 30 in the afternoon and just like oh waited. wow like yeah, you know uh, yeah but now to get into the marvel panel which is always the last thing on saturday you have to have been in line by like 24 hours previous right. to get your your wristband or whatever yeah right, yeah we already did our comeback yeah. episode <laughs> um, but i still got it on the brain because this year i i don't know I, I think i said this like i went to comic-con this year thinking this might be my last year because yeah. as i've said like it doesn't compared to other stuff we covered like sundance or whatever comic-con doesn't do great numbers for battleship retention.com it's a right this is a website that covers foreign art house independent type of stuff uh and so i was like am i you know what am i getting out of this um and then i had a fucking blast this year <laughs> and i like, already can't wait to go back yeah and i'm sure i'll repeat the same cycle next year if anything uh if anything, Comic Con hurts our numbers, but we get to have, <laughs> but we get to have a good time, and it uh, and we get to go for free. So what yeah. does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay, so back to I'm sorry, back to favorite movies. So the Graduate, your favorite film of all time, I would assume. That's what I'm taking out of <laughs> the Graduate's up there. I mean, here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but I, uh, as much as I love films, I'm not the guy that uh, I'm not a, a huge on trivia. I'm not the guy that watches okay. something like 30 times. Mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I was more interested in like seeing something new than you know going back to the theater and seeing the same thing over and over. Um, there were certainly movies I went you know to see a couple times with friends and group, different groups of friends, but uh, I always had an, uh, had a desire to see new things. Mm-hmm. Um, but The Graduate is yeah, that's one of those that I've kind of returned to over and over. Um, Dazed and Confused is another one. Hmm. Um, like for me, uh, I mean. Yes, there's better, quote-unquote, quote better films from the 90s, I guess, but I find it, I just find myself returning to it over and over. It's such a, uh incredible evocation of time and place yeah. to me that, that I didn't live in, but I, to me, everything about that movie felt so richly observed, so funny, so full, so full of pathos. Um, um, yeah. The... the Speaking of you, you talk about watching things over and over again. When I was a kid, like my parents didn't take us to the movies very often. I think because I was a large Catholic family, you know, I was the oldest of four. It's expensive to take kids to the movies. Sure. So we'd rent movies from the grocery store video counter. And so if I rented something that I liked, I'd know like, okay, I have two days with this movie and I have to give it back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this as many times as I can. There you go. And so I think uh, I was probably in middle school when Days and Confused came out. And um, I think the day I watched it, or day I rented it, I watched it four times in a row. Well. <laughs> um, uh, it, it remains after Die Hard, probably the movie I've seen the, the second most times. Hmm. Uh, anyway. There you go. I mean, Die, Die Hard is another one, yeah, where I can watch that uh, easily, like just once every year, and totally surrender to it and, you know, uh, just be enthralled. Um, Pulp Fiction was another one sure. where I was just blown away by the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um it sounds very like a very surface thing to say, but it was just so cool, right? You know, I mean, like the characters, the dialogue, everything about it. You're thrown into this uh, this other world. Um, that was that was one uh, like that was a film that uh, I became conscious of uh, the ability to break rules and, and subvert rules, and how that could uh, that could be a, an interesting thing. Um, I think that probably yeah that probably predated you know, any exploration of uh, Rashomon or other kind of 
fractured or multiple perspective storytelling that I had experienced. Sure. And I remember it being, I mean, I, I obviously we've established I was, uh, I'm seven years younger than you <laughs> by the math because uh, I came out in your face, the Simon, ET, the ET year. <laughs> but um, my memory of like when Pulp Fiction was out and when it was becoming sort of a phenomenon is that like the nonlinear storytelling really like a lot of people were hung up on it. Right. Like, and I, and I feel like in a, now that we're in like a post memento age, like yeah. Pulp Fiction seems positively conventional yes. in, in the way that it unfolds. No, that's true. I remember a lot of writing, you know, like breaking down in a very, uh, like programmatic way. Oh, well, this is, this is the chronological order that things take place in and this and that. I remember a yeah. lot of writing about that. Yeah. Oh, uh, can you imagine the infographics we'd have if there had been the, if the internet had been around in the same way? It would have broken the internet in, in, in an entirely different way. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, I remember this is a really specific memory. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we were talking, Tyler, you and I were talking on the, our, our movie journal, uh, bonus episode about, uh, how, every movie had an animated series Yeah, uh, at that time in the 90s. And I remember the Casper animated series. This was like Casper, the friendly ghost, based on the live-action movie right. with uh, Bill Pullman and uh, young Christina Ricci. Um, <laughs> did the, they did an episode. This is a kid's cartoon in like 94, 95. They did a Pulp Fiction spoof episode in which a director named... I, can't, I remember this so vividly. And I think the reason I remember it is because I was too young to have seen Pulp Fiction, but I really wanted to, and so I mm. read a lot about it. And so I, like, I remember, so the director, the character's name in Casper, the director, was Taron Quintino. Well, and <laughs> feels like they probably could have done more with that. But that's, it's a kid's cartoon. It's fine. Yeah. And he was shooting a movie at the castle that Casper ha- haunts of the mansion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the big joke was that he was shooting everything out of order, which is like a reference. But also it's like now that I'm older, and I know how movies are made. It's like, well, yeah, that's that's how all, all movies are shot out of order. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but that that Casper episode is probably the only Casper episode I remember. Uh, but it, it really imprinted itself in my brain because it was as close as I got at that point to yeah. seeing Pulp Fiction until like a year <laughs> later when I was spending the night at my friend's house and his older sister had rented it and he didn't want to watch it. So I waited until he fell asleep and watched Pulp Fiction twice in a row, probably from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. <laughs> uh, that was a big thing. Uh, sleepovers for me because um, I uh, Tyler, you have you and I have this in common. I'm a night owl. And so when there was a sleepover, a lot of times there'd be the movie we were all planning on watching, but also I'd be checking out the family's movie collection, THS collection. And and I'd be picking out ahead of time. What am I going to watch after everyone falls asleep? Brilliant. Because I was, yeah, I would stay up all night. I had some similar experiences to that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, or, or it's like those times when you rent two or three movies, but you, yeah, you like, you only, only get through one or two other friends start dropping like flies and you're like, it's 3 a.m., but screw it. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. watch this by myself. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a memory of being at my a friend. Uh, this is uh, another friend also named Ben. The, the last guy was named Ben. This guy's named Ben, too. Um, and, like, the sun peeking through the windows uh, as I was just finishing up So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Nice. Yes. I remember being over at a friend's house, and it was 1 a.m. when we started at my suggestion. Uh, Blade Runner, which I had seen already, but my, you know, these friends were like one or two years younger. And so I was recommending movies to them that they hadn't seen. And so I was like, oh, Blade Runner is great. Blade Runner is a pretty slow movie in a lot. Really? Of, I love it, but it's pretty slow moving. And so they, so we started at one, at like one ten. They're, 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 <laughs> they're falling out. Yeah. So, yeah. and part of me, and then I was like, okay, I've seen it. 
So what do I do now? Do I stop the movie? Because the people that haven't seen it are not seeing it now. And I think I opted to stop it and just watch, you know, just whatever was on Comedy Central at the time. <laughs> right. But yeah. um, I, so here's something that I've been thinking lately, and this is a sort of a question for the room. Um, and it uh, requires some introspection. So here we go. If you look at your your favorite movies uh, of all time, the movies that resonate with you and that you that you come back to over and over again, um, while I don't necessarily believe that, oh, this guy likes this movie, so he must be this way. You know, I feel like when I look at my uh, my my friend uh, Reed Lackey who is this mild-mannered uh, North Carolina guy who loves horror, but that doesn't stop him from uh, being like a really strong church-going guy. Um, I realize that, yeah, it's, it, we, we shouldn't read too much into it. But is there anything that either of you feel like you could extrapolate about yourselves from your favorite movies? Like, as I've looked at my top yeah. ten and the way it's changed over the years... I find like certain certainly changes in my taste, but also like, huh, as I have been as I got married and have been married, as I've lost people, as I've moved, as I become more of an adult, I feel like, yeah, I guess these movies would appeal to me a little bit more. Um, I don't know if Brent needs a minute to think about it, because you remind me, we we did an episode similar to this with about our, our pet themes, pet themes that. Yes. Um, that I and I do like I, I remember um I think we talked about this then back in 2012, which is the last year there was a uh, sight and sound poll. You and I were not asked to participate in the sight and sound poll, but film school rejects did a sort of internet version of sight and sound. And we were asked to participate in that. And I sort of realized about myself and making my list um, that maybe it's my Catholic upbringing, but like stories about like people going crazy under sexual repression, Mm -hmm. um, are a big deal to me. Like I had Mm. on my top 10, I had black narcissist vertigo and picnic and hanging rock, (laughs) which are kind of all about like these people uh, being intensely sexual, sexually repressed. Like that clearly uh, resonates me with me. Um, but in terms of how I've changed and then I'll, sorry, I'll I'll actually let our guest talk. This is what we do. This is great. Um, This is great. Um, I've realized that, um, my taste in music has not, diversified as much as my taste in film. Hmm. Like I've come, the things that I respond to, like my favorite movie of the year so far, uh, this year is a ghost story. Whereas the album version of a ghost story, whatever that would be, I would hate it. Mm. I don't like, I want music that makes me feel things immediately. That makes me want to like dance or tap my toes. You know, I like, uh, I like heavy metal. I like hip hop. I like things that are really sort of immediately expressive. Whereas when you listen to metal, you're like, Oh, this is toe tapping. (laughs) You know what you say? You joke, but like if you take away like the, the abrasive heaviness of it, like a lot of like death metal is just about like, it's not that different from like funk music. It's like Mm. getting into a groove, uh, and repeating it. Uh, anyway. Um, but like, uh, like that last Radiohead album, Oh, put me to sleep. That thing. (laughs) Whereas to say like the movie version, whatever the movie version of Radiohead's last album would be, would be one of my favorite movies of the year. Right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you? Uh, I mean, that's an interesting question, Tyler. I, I find Having mentioned Dazed and Confused, I, I definitely had and still retain a, a real affinity for coming-of-age stories. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the, the Wiley Wiggins uh, character in that no. film was so that's that's why he was so hilarious and kind of heartbreaking and interesting to me all rolled into one um, I'd say it dovetails nicely with what may be my favorite film of all time I think if, if hard pressed is Mulholland Drive oh yeah um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of David Lynch and I um, that is a film that uh, is endlessly fascinating to me because it's this um, it's this sort of beautiful woozy mystery of the id and every time you revisit it it uh, shows a new uh, new and different mm-hmm. part Absolutely. of itself to me and I, I I remember watching it and and loving it and you know wanting them to just roll it again immediately and sit through it again but uh, and I'm trying to remember my my top ten from that year it, it was one, number one or number two from that mm. year but it's it's only sort of grown in estimation each time I've seen it and I realize that that's probably because I, I feel like uh, I have embraced. Uh, cinema with abstraction mm-hmm. a lot more as I've gotten a little bit older. Like yeah. that, that stuff, maybe the more challenging viewing um, that I would have been less interested in, I would have been more interested in sort of a strictly, you know, linear narrative or just formulaic no. uh, meat and potatoes drama, as I would call it. Um, I, I really became interested in abstraction and surrealism. And uh, I, I differ from my father tremendously in that respect. He's still, you know, he can't wrap his head around stuff like that. Whereas I'm perfectly happy to, to take a trip, you know, with something like Ghost Story or whatever it is. Even if it's, if it doesn't bear emotional fruit for me, I would still rather see, I love seeing movies like that. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's, th- those aren't the movies that the big Hollywood studios are making by yeah. and large. Um, but those are so endlessly fascinating because I think they really reflect, um, or, or at least try to reflect deeper truths about, mm-hmm. you know, societal undercurrents. Hmm. That sounds very similar to what you've expressed before in terms of, yes, uh, you coming around on Belatar, I think was something that, boy, I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something I, I do definitely think as I've, uh, gotten older, so there's a two there's a two prong thing. There's like me as a person, and then like me as like a movie person. And I definitely think when it comes to like experimentation or uh, expressionistic imagery and that kind of thing, I think I've gotten more comfortable with that and have come to really embrace that and love it because partially because I I feel like I have a, a broader definition of what filmic art can be um, or the potential of film. But then at the same time, um, it could just, there could be a certain degree of cynicism. Like you just see the same thing over and over than when something Mm -hmm. is not that different automatically means good, but it at least gets my attention. Sure. And, and a ghost, I mean, just a ghost story is a perfect example of that for me. Like I did, you loved it. I had significant problems with it, but I was interested in it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I, and I was like, do I regret the time that I spent watching that or anything about it? Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, I was like, I was there, um, and, and found it fascinating. Uh, but ultimately a lot less successful yeah. than you did, but I would still rather see those films. Yeah. But, whether, whether you liked it or not, you engaged with it, Yes, you know, and there are plenty of movies out there that, are perfectly fine, but they're not actually that engaging. Like they're there, you, you experience them, the end. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But at the same time, like 
I, I wonder how many movies, uh, maybe I would say studio more mainstream films are really interested with engaging the audience as opposed to, okay, we're going to show a bunch of lights uh, on a screen and uh, that's the end. Right. Uh, But that brings up a question. I mean, Tyler and I are, you know, semi-professional film critics. You're a professional uh, critic. As you, as your taste becomes more abstract, how does that affect your position? You know, as a critic, are you someone who is supposed to be a gatekeeper of taste, supposed to be recommending people, recommending things? And if your reader is not necessarily someone who is like we are going to see movies in the theater four times a week, um, do you feel like like there's have to be a caveat in recommending like uh, something more more abstract? I think um, I always approach criticism. Um, I, I, I I am tried to be a smart and educated as I could, but I always uh, loved reading critics that were smarter than me. Uh-huh. Um, and the way that I first reacted to movies, it had to do with an emotional... It, it, I was interested in my emotional response almost as much as the content, if that makes sense. I, and I've talked about this uh, um, before, but uh, why am I feeling this way and how can I articulate my emotional response beyond just, that's awesome or it sucks? Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I was interested in when I was probably a much uh, less experienced and probably worse writer <laughs> than I am now. Uh, whatever talents I have, though, I still try to retain that, that idea, that thinking. So um, I think that having empathy just more broadly in life is hugely important. And also, um, having, uh, Catholic taste, small C Catholic taste, right? Uh-huh. Like, so I'm not a genre snob. I love seeing just about every kind of genre and, um, trying to sort of accept or relate to the movie on its own terms. So in my writing, um, yeah, I, I try to be mindful of like, okay, like who's the, who is the bullseye, uh, demographic, uh, to audience for this film? And if whether I like it or not, would they like it or respond to it? And so I try to incorporate that into my review. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, the the readership of of M Time being sort of having a, a broad array of interests. Um, I, I don't know if that affects. Yes. Like, do you have to uh, do you have to keep them in mind in terms of I, like? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you do. I, like, um, it's it's an audience that. Uh, um, I think, again, is uh, more familiar and well-versed with, uh, let's say, mainstream Hollywood films of the past 10 or 15 years, um, okay. just as China has become more open and those films have gained a lot of traction um, with a wider exhibition. Um, but uh, the real uh, cinephiles still are... Um, a part of a big part of our readership. And so it's, uh, it's sort of writing for both of those audiences. Uh, and again, that's the cool thing about our, that I have found about our readers is that, um, yes, there will be a portion that is going to be only interested in what for them is, or domestic releases, Chinese films. Um, but, uh, the film or the readers there are interested in Western filmmakers and world cinema. Uh, they, um, uh, do have tremendously varied tastes and uh so you can write for them as well mm. um i'm sorry I, I lost my train of thought a little bit but it, um that's battleship pretension it, yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, like the cool thing is that it just bears out all those sort of old hoary cliches about the universality of film right mm-hmm. that um uh they're absolutely true 
Yeah. Absolutely true. And that's uh, really heartening to me, um, for sure. To see, you know, readers in China, and not even in the biggest cities in China, but in inland China, western China, uh, have an interest in Moonlight. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. And that's, yeah. uh, there's, I mean, there's great dialogue in Moonlight, but there's not actually that much you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of parts of Moonlight that don't have dialogue. Yeah. Right. I think that's something I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently. I know I haven't seen Dunkirk yet. I know you haven't either. Um, yep. as, you, as you told me, you haven't seen it yet. Nope. Oh, hey. the, the three film fans who haven't seen <laughs> we Dunkirk were held yet. hostage by Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess but, that's true. Uh, one of the um, one of the things people keep saying about it is that it it, it doesn't have that much dialogue in it, and that mm-hmm. makes me really want to see it. I found that's something right. I've come around on in terms of the universality. I think. Um, also, it means, you know, we don't have to listen to as much Christopher Nolan dialogue, which is not always <laughs> right. the best. It is easily, uh, Jonathan Nolan does most of the writing, doesn't he? Does Christopher Nolan write as well? Uh, he, I believe he wrote, like, Inception on his own. Oh, okay. Which is maybe uh, one of the reasons you and I don't care for it so uh, much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my favorite movies of the past couple of years is a Polish half-narrative, half-documentary called All These Sleepless Nights. I don't mm. know if you saw, but it's basically just this, like, 19, 20 year old kid going to parties and it's like a lot of loud music and sort of drifting camera and like it has subtitles but you don't really need to know like that much about what's going on uh, to enjoy it. I find myself drawn to those kind of movies uh, a lot uh, recently to go back to your question earlier, Tyler. And you know, there's... So you, you mentioned, uh, Brent, the idea of reading critics that are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Um I feel that way about almost every critic I read because <laughs> uh, I don't have a super high opinion of my own opinion, but that doesn't stop me from expressing it. It's very contradictory. <laughs> but the point is, um, the critics that I found myself gravitating towards and still do, although there aren't really that many of them, are the ones that aren't afraid to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and not merely, here's the reaction I had, but it could be, here's an experience I had that this film put me in mind of or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. And this is something I was only thinking about recently, which is I, many years ago, I used to act and I think <laughs> uh, people say like, well, what, you know, as an actor, like whatever method works for you, uh, I don't agree with that. I think Meisner is obviously objectively the best method um, <laughs> because, because <laughs> when you're a Meisner actor, you're not an asshole. Uh, whereas if you go the Stanislavski route, you probably will be. Right. Um, but with Meisner, it's Sin- the gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> yeah, uh, Send and use condoms to the mail, right? Like Jared exa- Leto? Exactly, yes. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. Stanislavski asshole. Um, or maybe it's just Jared Leto. Yeah, I'd say maybe. He's not the best example of anything. But, um, but no, and so it's this idea of, you know, with Meisner, to, in, uh, to sum it up in, a, in a, almost an insulting way, I'm sure, uh, any actors that are listening, but it's very much, well, what do you as an actor bring to the performer, uh, to, to the character, and how can you meld these two things? And so, as a reviewer, I, uh, as, as somebody who reads reviews, I always like when a reviewer says what they are bringing to this, so I at right. least know the pay, you know, so I can get on the same page as who they are, and I learn about them, and I learn about the film, and then I can extrapolate things about my own possible reaction based on both. For sure. And so I feel like that's that's something that, and I feel like that's something that I've probably tried to emulate in my own reviews maybe to i'd say to middling effect Uh, i think it's hard not to be for me i I think i 
feel a bit narcissistic at times, but uh, no, I'm with you. you. I, th- I think the best criticism does. Uh, you know, people love to take pot shots at critics, uh, sometimes quite deservedly. But I do think the best criticism uh, it, it illuminates in a way where you, you know, if it is a negative review, uh, you should be able to read and accept the negative review, and while also saying, "Well, but I would like this," even sure. though they didn't, and vice versa. Sure, uh, and I think that speaks to uh, exactly the a, a little bit of the, the personal perspective uh, that helps that helps inform that. And I think you know, I mean, when you talk about like the way people view critics, and I feel like most movies that depict a critic has a very they have a very specific idea of what that means. Um, and I, I'm certainly not alone in saying that I think the depiction uh, of Anton Ego and Ratatouille is particularly interesting. But in, in regards to what we're saying, when he takes a bite of the Ratatouille, he has a flashback to him as a kid, and he like scraped his knee, and he's crying, and his mom says, "Let me make you know, let, uh, it's fine." And she makes him Ratatouille, and he eats it, and it cheers him up. And then he flashes back into he's back in in this in, in the present. And it's like that has that's not intellectual at all. Right. That is he's immediately put in mind of something that is extremely personal mm-hmm. and he for and and he is able to allow himself to be okay with that. As opposed to saying as opposed to thinking like, okay, well how can I intellectualize this? Like, no, sometimes it is personal, sometimes it is historical, uh, for you the the individual. And uh and I feel like that little bit of insight showed that, like, yeah, this is why this is the best depiction of critics because uh, I feel like the other ones are just either condemning or they maybe they're be being defensive, whereas this one really tries to delve into what it means and what a critic is trying to do when they criticize things. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you um, it, as a critic, I think you want to have a little bit of a you want to be a raw nerve. You want to <clears throat> leave yourself open to. Sure everyday experience kind of the highs and lows of the human condition you know so wh- whatever you're going to see and i'm sure you guys well know t- to like you may end up seeing a, a comedy and then a terribly terribly depressing holocaust drama back to back or right, something yeah. like that and that can be like a little discombobulating um and then it's weird because you forever in your mind associate those two films <laughs> with one another you know yeah, yeah. citizen um, four in big eyes right. <laughs> right. it didn't uh, help big eyes is not good to begin with didn't help seeing it right after citizen four right um <laughs> but i yeah if you uh, you open heart open mind yeah you know for sure um the raw nerve thing that's that is a very interesting way of phrasing it and i think that is something i'm going to take do and i will then say i said it no all right. <laughs> you just did you Damn just it. said it yeah. you just you said go. it so it um, is true well with it with an eye toward uh, wrapping up uh, uh actually a question that i i don't like but uh, I, i'm never good at answering this question what's coming up that uh, you're excited about in movies, you know, what do you even have? What screenings do you have booked? What do you, what, what do you got coming? Right. Up? What am I looking forward to? Uh, well, Detroit, I guess, comes out in limited release. What this week, right? And then it expands. Um, I think it will open in LA, New York, last. Okay. Week, so I think it's opening oh, it's already wide. Okay. Last time you're hearing this is probably opened fairly wide. Okay. Um, I think that's a. Uh, it's a it's a tough watch, and it's an important film. Okay. And it's that's. Uh, uh, it sounds probably pat and overly simplistic to say but i think it's it's a it's a film that is tied into the social condition and i saw it 
literally, I think, 50 years to the day from oh, the wow. events that happened, which was, uh, that gave it like an extra emotional spin for me. Yeah. Um, I think it, uh, you know, completes kind of this unofficial uh, trilogy with, with Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty of um, films that are tapped into uh, the the social consciousness of the United States and particularly maybe the United States that we want to be uh, uh-huh. versus the United States of our, that we have been and are uh, at various times. I, I found it very affecting. So that's, that's one that I would definitely kind of like recommend to people. Um, and the, the middle, I don't know if you gentlemen have seen it yet, but I it's, haven't seen it. not yet. it's, um, you know, it's, the success is that it doesn't try to necessarily paint on this uh, this massive canvas and tell the story of the Detroit riots. It's telling this more intimate mm-hmm. story of the an incident at the Alger, Algiers Motel, and so there's an, a passage. It's roughly an hour. Uh, of running time within the film that is is very self-contained and you're you know it's kind of claustrophobic and you're stuck in there and it's um uh it's not it's not michael haneke's funny games but in a way it reminded me of that it's just like it is this is a cattle prod you were being terrorized it's like uh last house on the left or something but this was fucking real life um and uh you know i there were there were critics that I saw that with, and a couple walked out or st- stepped out during the sequence because they're like, and I had a conversation with them after, and they said, "Well, this that was too much. Like I wanted less," and I was like, "Wow, I don't. I mean, we completely disagreed about that. You mm-hmm. know, yes, Catherine Bigelow is kind of putting your face in that, but necessarily so. Um, it well, speaks to where she's taking taking you, and it's." So I've never stepped out unless I had to go to the bathroom, which I try to minimize. Um, and I've never walked out, though I almost did when I saw Demolition. Uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yes. That was my least favorite movie of last year, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I, was, I almost walked out about halfway through, and I was going to text David, what is our policy on walking out? <laughs> um, but uh, but I, st- I stuck through, and sure enough, I was right the first time. Um, but there is something to be said for it's like, oh, it was too much. And it's just like... That might be the case, but that's what's there, and that's what we have to yeah. write about, you know. Um, and that's I, I. I don't mean to be uh, say like, well, this is how critics should be, but at the same time, like, the director didn't think it was too much, and so we can still say we disagree, but we have to first listen to what she has to say, right? In my opinion, yes. So I agree. All uh, right. Do you have a favorite movie of 2017 right now? Um, you know. It's uh, this would be another film to look forward to. Detroit is up there, um, but I caught Brad's status, which comes out in September. Um, okay. And this is—I mention that only because uh, it was a movie that far exceeded my expectations, which were, uh, I would say, po- positive or uh, substantial going into the movie. And it's uh, Mike White. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And it's Ben Stiller. Um, Jenna Fisher has a small role. She plays uh, his wife. But it's basically this road trip uh, where Ben Stiller is going on a college tour with his, his son. Mm-hmm. And he's um, 
experiencing kind of this self-loathing. He works uh, at a, as a president of a nonprofit organization, and his son is much more academic, academically successful than he was as a kid. So, you know, they're going on this tour, and his son is like, well, I'm not really worried. My counselor tells me I have grades and scores to get into this school. And he's like... Oh, oh, great. That's good. (laughs) I'm proud of my son, but also slightly irritated and jealous that he, you know, he is uh, able to get into schools. And um, at the same time, he's experiencing a lot of uh, uh, feelings about uh, friends of his that have been more uh, financially successful. And it's um, it starts out as kind of like a Ben Stiller character that you've seen right. uh, a number of times before. And it becomes something more, just something deeper and more interesting. Hmm. And I really, um, it has a lot of, it had a real emotional resonance with me um, because he's uh, connecting with his sons, um, some of, uh, some of his son's peers as they go on these college tours. And he's also reconnecting with old friends. Michael Shannon has a, has oh, a role. And nice. I, I found that really interesting and rewarding hmm. too. Um, um, there's a ton I'm looking forward to at Toronto, but that, that was one that popped into my mind too. Can I end things with a funny Mike White story? Um, is it okay with everyone? Please, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, I was, uh, I mentioned earlier, this is a podcast where I talk about being a PA. I was a PA on Beowulf. I was also a PA on Mike White's first directorial effort, um, Year of the Dog. Um, movie starring Molly Shannon and John C. Riley and, uh, Peter Sarsgaard. It's a good movie actually. I don't know yeah, if you ever saw it. I have, yeah. Um, but this is a story I don't, I, I don't want Mike White to look bad in the story. This is a story about how dumb Hollywood works when, when you're a PA. Okay, so I don't know if you know the brand of uh, uh, bottled tea, Tazo tea. Okay, yes. Okay, the yeah, little yeah. glass bottles. Um, what I'm sure happened is one day the director and the location, they're on the location scout, and, and Mike White takes a sip of a peach Tazo tea, and he's like, hmm, these peach Tazo teas are good. And by the time that filters down, filters down to me as an office PA, the directive is, Mike White must have at least four peach Tazo teas in his office refrigerator at all time. Right. So I like, when I think of Mike White, I think about like how I spent a summer at least once a week, like, digging as far back into the beverage, like, refrigerator at Whole Foods as possible. Chasing to down get every peach Tazo tea. Yeah. Do you yeah. ever, do you ever think and uh, about you know when when Mike White was uh, was directing this film that you're talking about. Do you think he was drinking some peach Tazo tea? No, do you think like you he probably never thought about <laughs> the McCann? <laughs> he probably didn't even remember that he specifically liked the peach ones. Right. But that's just the way it works when you're a PA. Is that it becomes yeah. uh, as things get filtered down, everything it becomes imperative that someone someone's needs that they don't realize needs need to be catered to. If I ever, if I ever see him in life, I'm going to be like, Hey, Mike white, <laughs> what kind of tea do you like? <laughs> what kind of tea do you like? <laughs> My story similar to that really quickly is that I, uh, for a time I, I had a job on the, uh, Carsey Warner lot, CBS Radford mm-hmm. and was just over there as a, as kind of a gopher. But I knew someone who was, I guess, you know, like the second, second assistant to Andy Dick. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it would have been news radio that was still on at the time. I can't remember. But, uh, and at that point, Andy Dick was, uh, I, I guess in a period of sobriety, but you know, an intense healthfulness. And so he had to have a very specific type of shake and they had to go out and buy all of the fresh, you know, v- vegetables and fruits for the shake. But the, there was a specific type of celery. Like, I remember that being a thing, that this person was like, they had bought the wrong celery <laughs> for this protein or fruit and vegetable shake. And they were yelled at. And I was like, 
I need to get a, as far away as possible from this world. <laughs> yeah, right it's here. awful. If yeah, I could awful. step outside of it and comment on it regularly, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that would really hit the spot. Well, um, Brent, thanks so much for being here. This Thank you. Fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, I want to tell you guys at home, you can find us, of course, at battleshippretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. I'm on Twitter at uh, Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, real quick, anything going on at More Than One Lesson, your other uh, website and podcast? Yeah, this week is episode 200. How about that? That does not mean we've been doing it for 200 weeks. We've been doing it for longer, but I was very undisciplined early on. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, we do. You didn't have of, me to keep you in line. It, that's true. I didn't have anybody <laughs> to keep me in line and it turns out I didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, we kind of take a page from the, uh, the BP playbook here and, uh, my co-host Reed and I talk about the obligatory element to watching movies and the joy that it can rob you of when you do what we do. Uh, because Reed is, has not always been my co-host for more than one lesson. And then he hosts his own podcast, the fear of God. And you know, when someone gets into this and they've been at it for a while, they start to like experience these things and ask these questions that we've been asking for a while, which is like, yeah, I I guess I should see that because everyone's talking about it and I guess I have to be part of the conversation. So, uh, but it was a really good episode. I really enjoyed it, but, uh, it's fun. It's like watching a, no offense to read. He's in his infancy when it comes to podcasting. So yeah. it's like watching a kid grow. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. That frustration, uh, I get it. I don't know. I put that in my rear view after Prometheus. That was the movie that I was like, <laughs> everyone's going to be talking. I think it was like Prometheus came out in like June. So it was like before Comic-Con. I was like, yeah. all my friends at Comic-Con, this is a very this type of movie. I got to make sure I'm caught up on Prometheus. I made myself go see it. And we all know Prometheus. Well, some people like it, I guess. But I fucking hated Prometheus. <laughs> and I think I like never again. Like I'm not going to go see something because it's the big thing. But that's how anymore. I am with Dunkirk. Uh, I, but I want to see Dunkirk. I don't care. Huh. See, I, I wish I did. Every summer, this is interesting because I real I remembering this now that every summer I took a stand against like one big Hollywood blockbuster that was being crammed down our, you know, the consumer's throat. So like Wild Wild West was one where I was like, no, that movie just looks dumb as hell. No, yeah. I will pass on that. And uh, so e- even at a young age, uh, there was there were movies like that where yeah. I think bolstered by a friend, uh, we, we said, no, we're going to skip it. We see everything else and then we, yeah. we, we exit out one or two. Well, and thankfully, because of this website and this podcast and our uh, elite listeners and readers, um, yeah, I feel no, I don't need to see, I haven't seen any <laughs> Fast and Furious movie. I haven't seen any Transformers past the first one. I don't feel like I need to see that. Dunkirk, it's Christopher Nolan, yeah. it's getting good reviews. I feel like I need to see it, and yet as I get older, I have less and less interest in seeing war movies. Oh. Um, and uh, Christopher Nolan is not the draw for me that he used to be. Uh, but I get that. I was skeptical, but uh, yeah. the, the reviews seem to really yeah. make me want to see it. Uh, Brent, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me uh, on Twitter at Shared Darkness, which sounds sinister, um, but that is, after all, what we do when we watch films. We share darkness. Oh, nice. So it's Shared Darkness. I meant to ask with that. I thought it seemed like a horror thing. Like right. You were a yeah. horror guy. I, I get that a lot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, it came to me. Uh, in in one of those semi-conscious states uh, one night, and uh, I thought it was such a great idea, and I was like, "That will be that will be my online identity." There you go. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. It was really cool. Thanks. Thanks at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. 
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.